Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. Today, I will be chatting with Sam Black of Grounded Roots Wellness Center, and we'll hear her story of overcoming her TBI and creating her own self-employment. This episode is brought to you by MFNC Brain Rehabilitation a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of chiropractic neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain rehabilitation in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnconcussion.com. Hi, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to The Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post. I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Brain Injury Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellner. Today's guest is Sam Black, and in early 2013, Sam was a passenger in a car that was hit by an impaired driver. From that moment, her life changed forever. Suffering from several injuries, including a brain injury, Sam was unable to return to a career that she loved very much. Through months of healing, reflection, and support, Sam was able to focus on the gifts that she still had to offer the world, and through this transition, Grounded Roots Wellness was born. Located in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, Sam is the Executive Director of Wellness, Inc., a space dedicated to healing the mind, body, and soul. Sam is a certified psychic medium and wellness coach, trainer, and speaker. She has a passion for helping others find the little gems inside and empowering empowering others to shine their light. So, Sam, welcome to the show. Hang on here. I'm trying to get you unmuted. There we go. Welcome, Sam. How are you today? Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here today. I think your story um, is just so inspiring. I'm glad you and I actually met through a mutual friend, through Rochelle, um, and she connected us and thought that we would really hit it off. And I'm so glad that she made that connection for us. <laughs> I really am as well. You know, it's so inspiring to hear everything that you're doing and how you're helping others um, reclaim their lives. And so I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you. Well, Sam, I would like for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how you received your brain injury. Um, I know you were hit by an impaired driver, but I think the whole story um, of, you know, what you were doing in your career and everything is just really important for people to hear. Um, I know, unfortunately, it is a way that many people receive their TBI. um, And so I think a lot of people will, will be able to relate. Yeah, well, it all started in February 2013. Um, It was actually on February 1st, my son's 16th birthday. 
and it was a Friday evening that it happened. And that night, I had worked well over 60 hours that week as a child protection worker, and I should have been home with my family. But um, it would have been detrimental to another family I'd been working with had I not been there to help them that night. So I stayed late, even though everything inside me said, no, you've done your time, go home. (laughs) But, you know, I really needed to carry out what I was doing. And so a coworker was with me, and I was training her um, how to have best practice with families. And so she was driving that night. And, you know, we were heading back to the office from a nearby town. And, you know, it really is surreal how it happened because it was a clear night. And I can remember, you know, she was driving slow because she was unfamiliar with the road. And, you know, in northern Ontario as well, you don't want to be going too quickly at night because there's lots of moose and deer and things like that. So I had been teasing her a little bit about how she was driving slow because the, it was an 80-kilometer area, and she was driving about 70. And she said, you know, I'm just I'm driving like an old grandma, so for until we get back there, I'm grandma. You know, and we were just joking around. But everything was very <laughs> calm, you know. We were having a good time kind of reflecting on the day, and, she, you know, we'd, we'd had a, a fairly good evening considering the circumstances. And out of the blue, a car was coming towards us in our lane. And I said to her, look out. And so she tried to move to the side, and unfortunately, he just drifted and followed us to the side of the road, and hit us head on. Um, One really interesting thing is that we both saw a white car or white light that we thought was a car come between us and the other car before impact. But in fact, there was no third vehicle involved. So we both saw this white light come out of nowhere, um, which was really interesting to us because we didn't talk about it for months and months. And then when we finally did, you know, we both saw the exact same thing. We just had been saying to each other, oh, that's weird, the report doesn't mention the third car. But we didn't question it until months later. But sure enough, we were hit head on. And so because I was the passenger, I got the first main blow and my head hit the side of the window. And I'm not sure whether I blacked out. I'm not sure what it is, but the next thing that I remembered we were hitting um, what I thought was a snowbank, but I later found out it was actually the opposite side of the road of the highway, um, and it was a barrier covered with snow, and we went over that. And as we went over, I remember thinking, oh, thank God we didn't roll. And the next thing I knew, sure enough, the back went over the front, and I counted three rolls, and then that was all I remember. Um, But I was told it was probably about eight rolls. And we landed upside down in a marsh. Wow. Yeah. Um, and my poor coworker thought that I had died because I wasn't responding or moving. And then the next thing I remember is I opened my eyes and I just called her name. And she said, I'm here. So um, the two of us, I'm not sure how long we were in the car, but long enough that we could call 911, long enough that we could call our supervisor, um, before anyone came down to help us out. And the rest is really foggy for me. So I know that I went to the hospital. I vaguely remember 
getting to the hospital and being confused as to why I had gone to one hospital and not the one in our city where we were closer to. Um, But I just remember being alone a lot in that room. And the next thing I remember really is feeling fuzzy the next day. And I remember little glimpses, but it's almost like watching a movie, not being present. And because it had been my son's 16th birthday, on the Sunday there are pictures of him blowing out his cake and his candles. And a couple of years after, I had said to my son as I came through the picture, I said, oh, I'm so glad your dad got you a cake. You know, I'm really glad you still got your cake that day. And he said, well, Mom, you made him go get the cake. You took that picture. And that was really (laughs) the first of many opportunities that I know I've experienced because there's a photo there but I really have no recollection of it. Yeah. And so did you spend the night in the hospital or did they send you home? They sent me home. And the interesting thing is they didn't even check me for a head injury. So throughout the report, it says what a good historian I was. So keeping in mind, I'm a child protection worker. I was (laughs) training this colleague. So in my mind, I'm working and I know I was teased after because I kept saying, if you don't get my portfolio out of that car, I'm not going anywhere. Like, that has confidential information in it. I'm not going without it. (laughs) I apparently made a really big fuss in the ambulance about wanting this. And so they had to go through the car and find it and bring it to the ambulance because I was refusing to leave otherwise. Not that I really had any control, I'm sure, but, you know, that was something in my (laughs) mindset. I'm working And I just kept repeating over and over and over again what happened in my head because I was so worried I would lose a detail. And in my mind, I was like, I have to get back to the office and write an incident report. Like, it wasn't even occurring to me that, Sam, you're not going to that office. That didn't even cross my mind. It was just (laughs) a, I have an incident report to write. So, you know, I had that first blow on impact. And then when the car flipped, we landed on my side, so there's a second blow. I don't know how many I got as we rolled. And then because we landed mm-hmm. upside down, when my coworker let my seatbelt go, I landed then on top of my head. So right there are multiple blows to the head, and they didn't even check me for a concussion. Right. Um, it wasn't until right. my husband took me to the hospital a couple of days later. I had a really interesting headache in that it was – on half of my head. And I said, you know, I can draw a line halfway through my head and it's only on one side. Like, that's not normal. So he took me in and it was there that they finally did a CT scan and told him, confirmed for him, because he had already suspected, but confirmed that I did in fact have um, a concussion. And I think it was about three weeks later at another visit to the hospital that they had said, no, this is... This is beyond concussion. She, she likely has got post-concussion syndrome. And it was then that I was referred to a neurologist. But not having a family doctor also made a really big impact because there was no way to really have a consistent person to follow up with. So we were so blessed to have wonderful staff at the North Bay Hospital to help through with that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think this is such a common Story I hear over and over and over, especially auto accidents, nobody gives it any thought that 
they've had a brain injury or a concussion or I mean it's just it just kind of blows my mind like that should be the first thing they check for and it's not and I know that Canada actually has different protocols you actually have better protocols um, for checking for and that was the thing than we do in the U.S. Yeah, the hospital didn't follow the yeah. protocols, um, you know. And there That's was there was interesting things too, like the driver had switched spots with his girlfriend. The one police officer lied and said, you know, it was just a mom and her three kids in the car, and obviously it wasn't. It was a male driver. So there had been a lot of things not adding up anyhow. So I'm not sure if that played a role with let's just get her out of here because like the police had been there. Um, my husband wasn't allowed to see me until the police officer talked to me. It was just all very strange, and I wonder if that did play a role because I know certainly when we went to the North right. Bay Hospital, they were right on top of it right away, and they were wonderful with me. So um, so I wonder if that played a role, but of course you, you never know with these things, right? It could have very well just been a late night, and I know they had to call the doctor in because it's a small reserve hospital so they didn't have a doctor on staff they had to call her in oh interesting so you know there's a lot of things that played and who knows who knows why things happened the way they did necessarily for sure but you know the reality was it was very obvious that we should have been checked both melissa and i should have been checked for a head injury and neither of us yeah were. yeah and um did did she have any um, recurring concu- post concussion symptoms? Um, I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about it because I don't know for sure. Okay. I know she didn't really yeah. exhibit a lot initially, but she did later say that she was having some struggles. Um, but as far as how long they've lasted and things like that, I really I'm not sure because I haven't honestly talked to her in a long time. Right, because she was just a coworker. Um, so let's transition into. Um, so you weren't able to go back to work in your career, and that kind of got you thinking about what you could do. So I, I let's transition into that conversation. Um, and how, was it hard at first to accept that you couldn't go back to work? I'm sure it was. I'm sure, like, devastating is probably more to it. Um, I'm someone who I loved my job. I loved the people that I worked with. And my job came first. Um, And, you know, that's not necessarily something to be proud of because, really, family should come first. But the reality was I knew my family was okay, so my job came first. And throughout, you know, my medical documentation and talking to some of my care providers, I repeatedly asked to be signed back to work to the point where I was sat down by a couple of providers and said, you are not allowed to ask us to sign you back to work ever again. Like, do not ask us. You're not here to go back to work. You're here to heal. You need to refocus. And so at that time, I, you know, I remember saying to my husband, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, this is, this is all I wanted to do, so I don't know what I'm going to do. And, you know, the other thing was I have multiple degrees, but I could no longer add. I could no longer subtract simple numbers. Yeah. I still to this day have a hard time with reading. 
So on one level, I knew, how are you going to go back to work? But on the other level, it was, you know, I just want to go back to work. I want my life back. So I finally got one insurance report back saying, you know, I wouldn't be going back to work. And my employer said, you're taking too long to heal. We're letting you go. And this accident actually took place six weeks before my probation was up because it was a new agency I was working with. So I didn't have union protection either. And so they did let me go. And I was just devastated. And I took a few days to cry my little eyes out. (laughs) And then, you know, it's not in my character to wallow. So I said, okay, if I can't do that, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. You know, I had my couple days. I've had my cry. I'm probably going to cry some more. But I need to move on with my life because sitting in this dark room with the curtains closed is not the way I'm spending the rest of my life. Yeah. I didn't survive that to live this way. And so my husband and I had some really great conversations around, you know, what do we want for our life now? You know, we're being given this blank slate. No, I can't do that, but I've got to do something. What does the rest of our life look like? And, it very quickly became apparent that if I can't get signed back to go to my job, how on earth am I going to get signed back to go to a job? And how am I going to be able to work a job when I'm still sleeping four hours a day, when it takes me you know, four times longer to do something than it did before? And so that's when we really started looking at maybe it's time to start working for ourselves because that way the only one I'm letting down is really me if I can't make it. And that way I can schedule my work hours around my best hours out of the day. And so that's when we really started digging in as far as seeing what are the strengths that we have. And more importantly for me, what are the strengths that I still had? Because the strengths I had before were gone now. You know, time management was a huge thing that I excelled at. Crisis management was my forte. And I couldn't handle any kind of stress without being unconscious for hours after and having headaches to follow. Mm -hmm. It just, my life was very different and I needed to get real about what I still had to offer. And you know, when you're dealing with, especially an MBA, where you're dealing with insurance companies or WSIB or anything like that, you're really in a position that they're focusing on everything wrong with you And you're constantly having to justify what's wrong with you because otherwise, you know, they'll say you're fine, you're faking, especially the brain injury that no one can see. And so it was really important for me to stay out of that mindset and keep that completely separate from my everyday life because it's too easy for people to fall into that trap of I'm sick and needing to focus on the I'm sick. And for me to get better, I needed to focus on the Parts of me are now impaired, but the rest of me is still wanting to serve the world. And so through that, we really narrowed down what I could still do. Even if it was limited hours, at least it was something. And from there, we developed Grounded Roots Wellness, a place for everybody to come and heal, and a space that everybody doesn't feel they need to explain their injuries in order to get some treatment or get some assistance and feel better. I love that, you know. I mean, I think it's really easy to get caught up in, like, 
why did this happen to me? This sucks. I'm never going to get better. I feel like crap. You know, it's really easy to get sucked down that path. And that path doesn't serve anyone well. The negativity just keeps breeding negativity. And if you don't believe you're going to get better, you're never going to get better, right? And Mm -hmm. so I just, I know, you know, I was there myself that that first year. I really didn't think I was going to get better. I thought something, I, I, because I kept being told, oh, you'll feel better in another month or two. Mm -hmm. And I was never feeling better. So I really thought, I'm never going to get better. These doctors can't even tell me I'm going to get better. Um, But then when I kind of shifted that attitude and was like, okay, I need to do what I need to do to try to feel better. So I started doing yoga and meditation and going for walks. And, um, you know, doctors weren't helping me (laughs) at all, you know, in the traditional sense. Um, So I had to figure out how I could help me. And that's when things really shifted for me. Um, And so I think that's the biggest thing I try to tell survivors, especially early on, is just look for the positives and look for what you can still do Mm -hmm. opposed to what you can no longer do. You know, like you said, you can't do math anymore. And, um, you know, it's, it's so important to look at, well, what can I still do? You know, and for me, I couldn't read. (laughs) I had a lot of trouble reading, um, Mm -hmm. but I could still write. And so that was what I had to offer. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm the same way, you know, (laughs) I really, the reading, I struggle. I run into two scenarios, either by the time I'm finished a page, I forget what the beginning said and have to go back, or I find the words and everything blur together, so I physically am not able to read it. And by the time I decode it, I'm so frustrated that I'm done with it. (laughs) And, you know, this whole idea about getting better, I think, is one, you know, it's linked to illness. So it depends really what, what belief systems do we have around illness. And our society links those two things together. And so for me, I really also went through that I need to get better phase. And what I quickly found with reflection is that getting better to me meant finding my old self. And she didn't exist anymore. So it's not that I don't have daily headaches anymore. I do. I just have found ways to try to cope with them. You know, I still have memory issues. I still have sleep issues. The depression, especially if I'm dealing with the courts and the legal system around what happened, I can spin really quickly downward. But it's being conscious to pull myself back out because no one can do that for you. You've got to find your reason for Mm -hmm. living. And I really have the belief that no one's been put on this earth to suffer. And we all have something to give. Every single one of us has something inside that can be of service to others. And for me, focusing on those things really is what brought me back. Yeah. And, you know, and I've met other survivors um, throughout all my travels and advocating. Um, I've met other survivors who are much, much worse off than me. And they have such an amazing attitude. And, you know, I think that's really what continues to inspire me um, to try and help others and keep fighting and um, sharing this invisible injury because it's like so misunderstood 
not only by the medical community, but by the general public. You know, people just don't mm-hmm. understand what we're going through. And it sounds like you had an incredibly supportive husband, um, which is also a huge part of the recovery as well. Absolutely, you know, and and thank goodness I did have him because I really felt cut off and isolated from everybody otherwise. Um, talking on the phone, you and I have talked about this. I have a hard time talking on the oh, phone. Oh, yeah. It's a really big struggle for me, and yep. I really dislike it. So as much as I would love to connect with someone, talking to them on the phone is, is really not a good thing for me anymore. Um, and that was such a huge drastic change because – I can remember when I was about 15, my aunt said she wanted to have it surgically removed from my head. Like, I was a chatty <laughs> girl. I, I did like calling all my friends and family. And that was, that was something gone. The other thing was people not understanding what I was going through. So, of course, I got that, well, you look fine. You need to stop whining. You look fine. There's nothing wrong with you. If you go back to work, you'll feel better. But that whole lack of understanding that I wasn't allowed to go back to work. Not only would my doctors not right. bring me back, but my employer couldn't take the risk of me being on the job anymore with the memory issues. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of misconceptions out there as far as invisible injuries go with, you look fine, oh, I've had a headache too, oh, everybody forgets things, or you look yeah. for attention, yeah. you know, like <laughs> all of these things together. And I was someone who was very hardworking, very... Um, you know, I took a lot of pride in being able to do a lot of things, and I, I had a lot of control issues after because I felt so out of control and alone. Um, so thank goodness for Chris that I had him there to help me because it really would have been a much larger battle than it already has been without him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I was self-employed before my accident, And I remember in those first couple months afterwards, I was still just so incredibly fuzzy and foggy and I had a ton of memory problems and I I just plugged along doing what I had to do because, you know, you have to pay the bills. And when I look back, I don't even think I understood how completely out of it I was. And I didn't have a doctor telling me you can't go back to work. I mean, he made me take the first couple of weeks off, but um, you know, when you're when you're self-employed, you don't have to report to anyone. Um, and you know, I two and a half years later, I'm just now starting to find my stride again, and I still can only work like three to five hours a day, just depending on what I have going on, and. Um, I'm sure you're finding a similar it, it you have to find that balance um between recovery and work. Absolutely. And it's a it really comes down to a choice on how I want to spend my time. So previous mm-hmm. to the accident, you know, I could work all day, then go to a board meeting, then, you know, play with my kids for a little bit, cook a nice meal and go out with friends after. I could easily do that in a day. I'm not able to do that anymore. So if I choose to work, I'm giving up the playtime with the kids. If I choose to go to a board meeting, I'm overstimulated, and the next day I'm sleeping most of the day. And those are the things behind the scenes that people really have no opportunity to see, is the struggles behind the scenes. 
you know, the days that mm-hmm. I, lo- I love doing my radio show because there's some days in my face you can tell it's not a great day. It's a concussion day or whatever. And radio, I, nobody has to see that, so I don't have to answer those questions. But if I go into the office, you know, constantly, oh, are you sick? What's wrong with you? Oh, you, you must be working mm-hmm. too hard. You look tired. You look tired. And, or, or my husband going, you're so beautiful. When I know he's thinking, you look like crap. You need to go lay down. <laughs> you know? but I love it's, it. It's those things, right, that invisible yeah. injuries show that, but people don't understand where that's coming from. And, you know, the brain fatigue, that's a real thing. And having to manage your time. I read that article the other day about the girl who says the spoon theory. I don't, I don't remember who shared mm-hmm. that, but about how you have a certain number of spoons in a day. It's so true because, you know, we really have to choose our time carefully and say, okay, well, today if I want this, I have to give that up. Or there's a good chance exactly. I have to plan to get, give that up. And maybe I might have a good day and not have to, and I might pay for it the next day. But, you know, the idea of time is a totally different thing now, and certainly you can't take anything for granted. So things I've given up are like TV shows I used to like to watch. Well, instead now I choose to use that time for self-improvement. You know, little things yeah. like that. Well, and speaking of time, we only have about 30 seconds left. So I'm going to have to wrap this up. I'm sorry to cut you off there, Sam. Not a problem. Um, but so much thank, fun. You thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I just, it's such a powerful story of, of really being able to get back on your feet, um, even though they're still wobbly. So thank you for being here, Sam. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed today's show. And thank you again to our sponsor, MFNC Brain Rehabilitation, the concussion doctors you can trust for brain rehabilitation in Minnesota. And you can find them at mnconcussion.com. Thank you for listening, and I will see you all again next time.